Well, good morning, LCM. Good morning. Today is Sunday. It's April 25th, 2021. It's my first Sunday back in about 12 weeks. I missed you guys. It's nothing like the family of believers. Being joined with those who do the will of the Father. Amen. Oh, it's good to be here. We're going to go on a journey of remembrance together. The canon of scripture, the Tanakh and the Brit Hadashah, the older and the newer Testament, they contain more than 200 references to the act of remembering. And that doesn't include all of the times and it says, you must never forget. <laughs> this morning, we begin a series called Remember. The subtitle is Secure Sons. Amen. Our adventure together, well, it's going to follow the directions that God gave his children in the book of Deuteronomy. Are you ready? No, 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 no. Like, did y'all become Methodists in my absence? What happened? Are you ready? To start our journey of remembering. We're going to remember what went on on Wednesday night. Can y'all think back just a few days with me? Remembering our Wednesday evening service entitled Committed. Man, Pastor Eric brought an incredible word to us. As I was thinking and contemplating that this week, as I was being moved by the words that I was hearing, it made me think about how I encounter failures. I know that I've always thought about my failures as an ultimately a commitment issue. I should just try harder. I should just work harder. I've even said to myself at times, I should just strive harder to be able to do it. But after engaging with the word on Wednesday night, when you get into the word and let it get into you, you realize that the word demonstrated that the disciples, they didn't have a commitment issue. They had left everything to follow Jesus. Yeah. They set it all aside. I'm thinking about Mark chapter 3 and verse 13. I'm just going to read it to you. It says this, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to them those he wanted. Yeah. Come on now. Let's be encouraged by the fact that Jesus calls to himself those he wanted. And they came to him. These men left everything and actually followed him. He appointed 12, designating them apostles. Why? That they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. What we learned on Wednesday was these men didn't have a commitment issue. They just needed constant transformation. And that is a beautiful thing for us to start to engage with today. Oh man, Jesus had a purpose by having these disciples with him. His intention was to make them into something. Turn them into something. Starting with fishers of men. And he was moving them towards sitting on 12 thrones, judging the very 12 tribes of Israel. Yeah. Matthew 19, 28 speaks of this. The very reason that we see that they were chosen for is to experience transformation. So now that we understand that they didn't have a commitment problem, as a matter of fact, their lifetime journey had begun. A lifetime of transformation. Amen. Come on, these men who were being transformed by God, they watched Jesus interact with a rich young ruler and that began to trouble them. They had a shocking response to it. They did not ask as Jesus was dealing with this man, 
how the rich can be saved. What they asked was, who then can be saved? The question seems to be driven from them realizing in that moment that every step in the journey that God puts you on with him requires increasingly difficult things to be done. Anybody found that out in your walk with the Lord? Oh, yeah. That the further you go along, the more you need his transformation. In other words, this is what these men were coming to grips with. That they were coming to grips with the need for continual transformation, ongoing transformation, perpetual transformation each and every day. Amen. Matthew 19 and verse 26 just says it plainly. Jesus looked at them. Think about what that's like. Jesus looked at them and said, with man... This is impossible. The idea that you can constantly be, be in the process of transformation. With man, you can't do this. But with God, all things are possible. Yeah. When his power comes in, when his transformation comes in, you don't just want it a long time ago. You know that you need it today. And it's an ongoing process when we recognize our weaknesses and allow God's power to come in and transform us. Look, these same committed disciples, they found the limits of their strength in the Garden of Gethsemane, didn't they? Yeah. Look, knowing their friend, their rabbi, he was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. As disciples, they committed to pray with him. But what did they find? They found only their own weaknesses. Yeah. Jesus confirms this in Matthew 26, 40. Let me read it to you. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Man, how familiar is this feeling for us? To try and do something great for God, only find it then to be impossible to live up to our commitment as we try to fulfill it in our own strength. You know what I found? One of my favorite parts of Wednesday night was the hope that I heard in what Pastor Eric preached. Yeah. The hope was that these failures are not the end. They're not the mark of disqualification. These failures are the opportunity for you yes. and I to see where we need transformation. Yeah. It's no longer yeah. hidden. We, it's no longer bound from us. We can see it and we know exactly where we need is transformation. Yeah. I tell you, I was moved to tears sitting on the front row as I thought about Jesus being in the garden of Gethsemane. And we've been talking about the disciples there and their interaction. But think about Jesus, the perfect son. Did you hear it on Wednesday night that he needed supernatural transformation? Yes. It's almost difficult for us to say out loud, isn't it? It almost feels like we're not being correct about it. But Jesus needed supernatural transformation. This is what we heard on Wednesday night. Not from being sinful to being righteous. That's not the kind of transformation. But a transformation power that overworked his normal human weakness and let divine power come in so that he could fulfill the will of God. Yeah. Says that he was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. In another passage it says that he collapsed into prayer. He was at his breaking point as a man. Yeah. And he continually cried out to God to strengthen him. There's even another passage that mentions that angels came to strengthen him. Yeah. Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. 
He's crying the same kind of things that maybe we've done before. He knew he needed power, but nevertheless, not my will, Lord. Let your transformation, let your divine power come into me, and I will do exactly what you want me to. Not as I will, but only as you will, Lord. To know that he needed to do that. My goodness, what does that say about our need to do that? Yeah. Our need to rely on the transformative power of the gospel. But you can. Okay. Uh, listening to this message, I was cut to the heart. I was deeply impacted. And what I took away from it and what I am hoping you got from the message is that it's not just a matter of you striving more. That's operating in your very own place of strength. But God is faithful. You know what he's faithful to do? He's faithful to reveal the limit of your own strength so that he can bring you to a point of experiencing transformation. How, how many times has God brought you to the extent of what you can do in and of yourself? That is the point he's been aiming at the whole time. Now you're going to cry out. Now you're going to experience my divine power transforming you, enabling you to do what you can't do in and of yourself. Amen. Come on, isn't that a good word today? Yeah. Actually, it's us remembering the good word that we got on Wednesday. <laughs> it is. The whole point is that your weaknesses are showing your point of need for transformation. What happens when we don't go to the transformation part, though? What happens when we look at our own weaknesses and decide instead of to be and to experience transformation, we just experience accommodation? Yeah, we're all too familiar with that, aren't we? See, what does it look like when we accommodate instead of asking God to transform us? You begin with accommodation every time you get defensive. I'm not defensive. Yes, that's what I'm talking about right there. How dare you say that to me? Yes, exactly. Thank you for helping me prove our point. You need to say that better to me, Pastor. <laughs> yeah. We accommodate every time you get defensive. We accommodate every time we get insecure. Yeah. We accommodate every time we get critical of someone else and what they did and how they should have done it better. We are accommodating our own weakness instead of letting the transformation power of God rise up within us. And we know exactly what must, what must get corrected. Yeah. We accommodate in our marriages. When we don't expect our spouses to be more like God each and every day. Let me, just, let me just cover over this. Let me just go ahead and do it instead of you do it. I tell you what, let me just be critical as you do it. We accommodate in our marriages. We accommodate. It's probably easiest and most clearly pictured in us as parents. No, my child is not bad. They're just sick. They're just tired. They're just teething. They're just... Wicked sinners. Wicked <laughs> sinners. And when you accommodate, instead of expecting the transformation of God. Man, I, I heard this again over and over on Wednesday. And I was not thinking only about us as a church. I was just thinking about me personally. Lord, let this word impact me. Lord, show me. I don't have a question of if I'm accommodating. I know that I must be because the word of the Lord to this church is don't accommodate. Let there be transformation. Lord, show me where I'm accommodating. Come on. See, you've got to Come face on. the hidden areas of accommodation. This is what allows the transformation in you. Yes. This is what allows. It's not disqualifying you in the moment. 
It's perfecting you. Yes. Amen. Yeah. Where your limits are and you're going, God, thank you, Lord, for showing Amen. me another place where I need your heavenly, divine, empowering transformation in my life. Amen. Come on. That's what we want in this church, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, are we preaching to you this morning? Yeah. Is it resonating in your soul? Yeah. Mom, man, we want to emphasize the fact that when you come to the end of your strength, we have to remove these areas of accommodation. They're the very hindrance to the solution when you're at the end of your strength. They're the hindrance to transformation. There's a call this morning we're reminding you of. We need to be transformed. Come on, this, this is beginning with the day you were saved and then moving forward. Oh, it didn't stop on the day you got saved. In no. fact, if it did, then you're in trouble. <laughs> yes. Every day ought to be increasing in your transformation. Think of building a testimony. Laying a foundation is not where you stop. It's where you begin. This is the transformation that actually builds your testimony and builds security as a son. So I want you to follow me somewhere. Follow me to one of the most transformational scriptures that's ever been in my life. Go to Romans chapter 12 with me. There we go. Let's go to verse 2. <laughs> Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. By the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve of what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, let's view this verse correctly. That it's being written, spoken to a spirit-filled group of believers that are saved. But realize they still needed transformation. They still needed continual renewing. Otherwise, they would not know how to determine God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. Come on, since you're there in Romans, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And isn't it good to remember just what went on a few days ago? Mm -hmm. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. Somebody say, remember when you get there. Remember. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness. Yes. We are being transformed into his likeness in an ongoing way with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Come on now, you can talk about credited righteousness all you like. We start off being credited with his righteousness, but we also still must be being transformed into his likeness. That's what's going on. The result in our lives is an ever increasing glory and it's only achieved. You ready for this? It's only achieved by full reliance on the spirit, yeah. on the transformational work of the Lord. Just one last comment before we leave the idea of accommodation here for a minute. When you accommodate, you don't allow the ongoing transformation. It's less of his likeness that's being formed in you. It's a glory. Instead of increasing, it begins to decrease. It's less reliant on the spirit, but that's not where we are. And that's not who we are. Is it LCM? Yeah. We're going to be those who are transformed constantly into his likeness 
as secure sons in the kingdom of God. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Who wants to be a secure son in the house of God? As we remember, as we approach the topic of remembrance, I'm telling you up front, it's related to being a secure son. I want to run through a scriptural record for you before we even get to our subject. Have you noticed there's a lot of pretext today? We're, we're, uh, we're working hard to make sure that we handle what is coming well. So to do that, I want to start with you in Genesis 28:16. And Sound Booth, if you'll follow me, the rest of you can take notes as we go. Genesis 28:16. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord was in this place, and I was not aware of it. Oh my God, was there a day in your life when you had an awakening and realized that the Lord's presence was there, and you had not been aware of it up to that point in your life? Because that is the beginning of becoming secure as a son. The harder it is for you to nail down that moment, the harder it is for you to frame it, the more insecurity there tends to be in a man's life. Look at verse 17. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Well, I don't know how awesome that rock outcropping was, but what happened there was incredibly awesome and every time they pass by and hear the name of the rock outcropping he could remember that moment think for a minute in the prophets on first samuel 3 21 the lord continued to appear at shiloh and there he revealed himself to samuel through his word not only does the lord's presence Operate in your life before you're aware of it. And then there is a day of your awakening to it. But he continues to reveal himself through his word. Samuel's one of the more powerful prophets that there ever existed. And the same chapter says while he is in the tabernacle surrounded by priests. He did not yet know the Lord. And the way the Lord revealed himself to Samuel was through his word. Friends, in your life, the Lord's presence has been there a long time before the day you say, I got saved. And by the way, on the day you think you got saved, all that means is you started a process. Yeah. Yeah. A process that you are now engaging in, but was going on since before you were born. You just became aware of it. And the more you look into his word, the more you'll start to find out how continual this actually is is in psalm 19 one that is so many people's favorite the heavens declare the glory of god the skies proclaim the work of his hands day after day they pour forth speech night after night they reveal knowledge they have no speech they use no words no sound is heard from them yet somebody say yet in the house of god yeah. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. I want you to understand God's never left himself without testimony. He's never left himself without his presence around us. You just awaken to it at some point in your life. And the more you go into the word, the more he reveals of himself to you. 
All we're calling your born-again experience is the beginning of your awakening to God's moving in your life. Listen to how this psalm describes it. Yet their voices goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom. Where you at, Tisdale? It's like a bridegroom. Where you at, Timothy? It's like a bridegroom. Like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Like a champion rejoicing to run his course. The Bible presents God like a bridegroom on the verge of coming to get his bride. He's looking for her. He's aware of her. He wants to reveal himself to her. And eventually he breaks forth like a champion coming to get her. In fact, the New Testament picks up on this in John 1.18. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. The way that you become aware of God's presence in your life, the way that you awaken to him in the word is in the personage of the groom that has presented himself to the creation in Jesus Christ. Oh man, is that good news? He wants you to know what his father is like. He wants you to know what sonship looks like because you get to see him a perfectly secure Son, Revelation 21 is very near the last words in the Bible. And in the sixth verse, check this out. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end of what? Of everything. He's the beginning of your awareness of his presence. He's the end, the teleos, the culmination of what that will produce. He is God over the whole process. And he wants you to learn to be secure in sonship. So he has a prescription for us. But look at verse 7. The one who conquers will have this heritage. Do you want a heritage? A heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. The beginning and the ending of the revelation of God to the creation is that he wants you to be secure as a son of God. Turning the gospel into something that is simply a sales product to get a tithe or a feel good product so that you don't have to think about transformation. Well, that's not what it was designed for. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. You know, that gives me a great deal of comfort. I love this church. There's hundreds of recordings of me giving scathing scoldings to this church. That's true. That's true. Many of us have had private sit downs. 
Today will be unique. In fact, today there will be no need for us to discuss your sin. Romans says we're without excuse, so I'm just not going to aim at it today. I would have thought for a few of you, you'd be excited because we could talk all day long about what you've done wrong this week. But today is going to be unique. Today, our only focus is on His righteousness. Do you remember the title to the series? There's a slide here for you. Our title is Remember Secure Sons. We're going to go down a scriptural path that God lays out to create a secure sonship in the people. The whole process is outlined in the book of Deuteronomy. And the very first thing that God says for his people to remember is the day they stood in his presence. The day. Hey, let's turn to Deuteronomy 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 9. Now, this is the first of seven remembers. How important is it to catch the first thing that somebody says? Anybody like me and ever miss the first part of what somebody's saying because you're worried about what you're going to say? Yeah, let's not do that today. The, the reason that we've walked through the path that we have is so you are ready to catch the very first remember. And we're going to start in Deuteronomy 4, verse 9, to see exactly what God is saying. You ready for this? It says this, only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Verse 10 says, remember, somebody say remember. Remember. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb. When he said to me, assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. Now in Deuteronomy 4, church, we, we're going to remind you that it's being recorded by Moses almost 40 years after they stood there at the day at Horeb. In other words, it's roughly as long as it's been since Charlie and Joe first felt the presence of the Lord. About 40 years. Yeah. God is telling through Moses, he's telling the people something that's so very special in this verse. We're going to help you to make sure that you catch how special this is. To remember the first time you seriously encountered the Lord. Remember the day you stood before the Lord. Remember the first time that you encountered and felt God's presence. Remember the first time you heard his voice. Remember the first time you stood in his presence. That moment was the beginning of your sonship. It was the beginning of his transformation in you. It was the beginning of his testimony inside of you. Remember the day you stood before the Lord. Let me encourage you by telling you what he's not saying. Notice that he did not tell them to contrast that day with their life before. He does not 
tell them to focus on their depravity. It's almost like our common testimonies that we've heard all of our life are built on the wrong things. Let me tell you about everything that I did before that I came to the Lord. 95% of it would be everything that happened before the day I got saved. 5% of my testimony is then he was good to me and he changed me. That's exactly the wrong way that we're going to tell our testimonies. We're going to learn as a church how to tell right kind of testimonies in this house. Not only is that kind of testimony, your salvation, the end of it, it produces people that believe on the day they first entered into a walk with the Lord, it was the end. They made the finish line and the starting line the same thing. When actually God tells us to start with the day we first stood in his presence. What the Lord wants to help this church What he wants to help you and us and me to understand is as a son, he wants you to focus on the things you felt when you first experienced the Lord. Mm. For some of you, that's going to be easy. For some of us, it really requires that we learn how to remember, to think about and and focus on as a son, what you first felt when God came into your life. He wants you to focus on what you experienced as you stood in the presence of the Lord. Church, this is an opportunity to remember. Everybody say remember. Remember. And go back to the very first place that you felt the presence of God. Church, I want to share with you the result of me wrestling and interacting with this very first step. And share with you what I felt for the first time in his presence. Immediately, I felt completely secure. I felt like I was fully covered by the arms of my father that were assuring me that I was safe and even untouchable. No one could approach me and harm me. In addition to that, I felt liberated. I was experiencing a freedom that I was completely new. I was made whole. And I stood before my father as clean and pure. It was a freedom that I transformed into a new man. I truly experienced being born again. Born again from the very substance of heaven. Oh, but God, it gets even better. In that very moment, I felt there was a surge of tangible power. His presence was like a lightning bolt that struck the very soil of my soul. It rocked me. It was a rumbling of his raw power that shook within and it shook around me. You know that feeling whenever a jet plane takes off in the distance? You're not sure exactly what direction it's coming from, but it's just shaking everything around you? It was that times a hundred. I was sitting there experiencing him filling me with the feeling of awe and confidence that his great and mighty hand was right there upon me. I also felt 
that I was face to face with the living God. And this is one of the best ones. That right there in my bedroom, I was overwhelmed by the intimate closeness of the God of all heavens. I could feel, and I still feel it now, his face is pressed up next to mine. So much that I could not breathe. I balled up into the, a fetal position because I was so enveloped by him. He was permeating my inner being and filling every fiber of my body, soul, and spirit. Yeah. All these feelings began to come back to life as I just took a moment and wrestled with the command to remember the first time that I stood in his presence. As I wrestled with this very thing that we're presenting to you today, I remember the first time I stood in the Lord's presence. It was the day of my salvation. It was the day of me being baptized in his Holy Spirit. I felt like I was encompassed by his presence. How do you express what it feels like to be standing there in the presence of the Lord? The best that I can hope to do is tell you it felt like I was enveloped by a cloud of his very spirit. It was tangible. It was beautiful. It was very real. Without words, I remember the feeling that he had chosen me. I wasn't asking him for it. He came and made himself real to me, and I knew without words that he had chosen me. Now, as I think back on that day, I could add a lot of other words to it, like purpose. I can add words like calling. But the truth of it is, is it as I remember that day and when I stood before the Lord and what it felt, I didn't have those words. I had the very real experience of feeling and knowing that the God of all creation had not only come down to meet with me, but he had chosen me. I felt connected to the God of all creation. I felt close. I felt an intimacy with him. Not even realizing that there was a longing there for that, but being completely satisfied with intimacy with him. A connection with him that was all-encompassing, all-surrounding. I didn't care about anything else. I didn't even care about myself, only what I was learning about him in that moment. You'll have to excuse me that as I'm remembering this, no, there, like, we do not need to excuse anything. It's like I'm reliving it. As I'm retelling it and remembering it, it's like I'm back in the moment and I can revisit the exact same way that it felt so much time ago. See, God commanded us to do this. Remember what it was like to be an 18-year-old young man standing in a room alone and suddenly the sensation of warm rushing water was all around me I had no idea I had never felt that presence before I remember my skin seemed to be vibrating as if there was an electrical charge in the air I kept touching goosebumps 
that were on my arms. In that moment, I knew exactly how the Bible had been written. It wasn't an intellectual decision. I just looked over, saw a Bible, and realized what the presence of God can do. His love was literally so palpable to me that it seemed as if it was the first time in my entire life I had ever experienced that emotion. The largest things that flooded into me were a sense of purpose and significance. They filled my heart in ways that even in the coming three decades, I would fail to be able to express appropriately. Maybe more amazingly, I had an overwhelming desire to please him, literally welling up in me. And I felt as if I had the power to do so. I think the most vivid thing about it all to me is that for the first time in my life, there was purpose and significance and the power to achieve something. Look, I hope as you're hearing us relive, remember, retell, the first time we stood in the presence of the Lord, that the Spirit is beginning to stir your soul in similar ways. Some of you can't help but cry out like, amen. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because you recognize a commonality that happened. I know that it worked that way as we did this with our wives. We've been working through this for these last days. I was talking with my wife, Cassidy about these very things and getting her to recount, remember the first day that she stood in the Lord's presence. She began to share with me that she first felt God's presence at the age of five. And she was filled with a confidence that God hears her. She felt how gentle and loving he was. At the age of 21, she said she experienced for the first time the feeling of being clean and being free for the first time feeling brand new made into a new creation she described how she felt safe and secure that god was giving her the surety that he was close to her standing with her and protecting her and talking about this with my wife i actually learned something new as well in that moment of first feeling his presence she was filled with joy as if it were for the very first time. To her, it was a completely new emotion. And look, even overflowing to the point that she couldn't wait to go tell everyone that this is real, y'all. And I watched it happen. As Christy and I began to share, to remember the very first day that we stood in the presence of the Lord, Christy began to recount as a 17-year-old who had just graduated from high school on the grounds of a Bible college she had a special incredible time where the she was completely overwhelmed by his spirit she said that the spirit was bubbling out of her 
effervescent presence of God was there. It produced in her an immediate gratefulness that she could stand before God as a righteous daughter. A wave of hope swept over her. She knew in that moment that anything was possible, that anything that the Lord actually asked of her, she could do with his presence. Tears filled her eyes as she now knew that freedom and what freedom felt like. For the first time, the chains were gone and freedom was hers. She experienced an awakening to the reality that nothing else mattered but him. That his lordship over her was all that mattered and all that she needed for having him lead her. Even for days after, she repeated endlessly to the Lord, you know me. You are real. You know me. She thought she knew before that God was real. But on the day she actually stood in his presence, she knew for certain of his reality and of his power. Jennifer and I have had the opportunity to be doing this for, I guess, about a month now. We're sitting by a little fire uh, in a pretty geriatric setting. I think we're the youngest people by 30 years anywhere. And we're remembering when we stood in the presence of the Lord. It was the strangest thing because I didn't think after 28 years that I would be learning things that I didn't know. We've told our testimony a few times through the years. But I did. We had failed to relive and recount this, and in many ways, it had simply become stories. Not untrue stories, but just stories that blunted the edge of the sword through overuse without sharpening. And I was surprised. I was blessed. I, I was full of joy. My wife said that at a Jimmy Swaggart meeting, of all things, at nine years old, she experienced the Lord's presence in a way that surprised her. And I was like, Jen, can you put it into a word? Like, what, what, what did it? Eric, it's the first time in my life I felt capable. I had no idea. It actually explained a lot of getting to know Jennifer in the early teenage years because we were outside the presence of the Lord for some of that, which is why there was so much insecurity. <laughs> but as she went on, she stood on her grandmother's porch at 18 years old. And the Lord did it again. But this time had it a sense of significance. An 18-year-old girl in the presence of the creator of the universe suddenly feels both capable and significant to God. As Jennifer and I remembered as we relived, as we revived this first time in his presence, he touched us again. We're sitting alone by a fire with a bunch of ridiculously old and grouchy people, and we found ourselves 
weeping again, experiencing again what he had done so long ago. We not only fell more in love with him in that moment, we started to fall more in love with each other in that moment. And we started to understand the importance of this command. Look, for some of you, insecurity is rising as we talk about these things. You're comparing, like, do I have an experience like that? For others of you, it's rewetting your soul and you're remembering the experience that you've had. Our topic today is to remember the first time you stood in the Lord's presence. But as a side note, in the backdrop of Hebrew history, right alongside this, the fourth commandment, it says, remember the Sabbath. What if we were not only remembering the Sabbath, a weekly day, but also on the Sabbath, we were remembering not just remembering to do something weekly, but on that day weekly, remembering the journey beginning on the first day the Lord's presence showed up. I just want to ask you, if that's your last day of the week, if that is Saturday and the first day of the week is Sunday, what kind of day do you think you're going to have on the first day of the week? 52 times in a year, this should be done. And then because God likes feasts, he puts special holy days in those feasts, which adds another 18, 70 times in a year. We would start by remembering the day that his presence rushed into our life and we became a, how would that change our outlook? Because he hasn't changed at all. Church, I want to give you a homework assignment. Remember the day you stood in the Lord's presence. Speak with those in your household about it. Relive it. Retell it. Make sure that as you do this, you do not fall into the habit of contrasting it. You do not need to enhance God's goodness by talking about your badness. You are not an American Idol contestant. Do not contract. Let this be like the gates of praise in the tabernacle where you're bragging on the Lord. You are not trying to add anything to it. Just what he did. You do not need to present what a scoundrel you were. God did this in an order for a reason. And let's just be honest. We know you were all scoundrels. <laughs> Unfortunately, all of that lends to the idea that it was just done then. It wasn't done. It's still not done. We need ongoing transformation, but it starts. It starts by remembering where his presence entered your life. Look, something special will always happen for you when you do this. Something will begin to rewet and revive in you. Would you all like to see how that happens in Moses' life? Because this is the beginning of a process to become secure as a son. And we want you to be secure sons. And if you are not a son, we want you to know that too. Although it's not our emphasis today. Because you can be. You can be. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 3. 
Let's see how Moses first stood in the presence of the Lord. And as you're turning to Exodus 3, we want to remind you that this is Moses being there at the burning bush. Long before he brought the nation to Mount Horeb. This is Exodus chapter 3 and verse 10. Somebody say secure sons when you get there. Exodus 3.10 says this. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? See, church, when God first spoke with Moses about the privilege of being chosen as his instrument, Moses' first statements were about his own deficiencies. See, the telling part of the whole dialogue is that Moses asked, who am I? Before he ever asked the question, who are you? At least that's just Moses. <laughs> Oddly, while staring at a visible representation of God, a bush that was on fire but not being consumed, Moses was more self-conscious than God-conscious. Moses was an insecure son. But before he leaves the presence of the Lord, Moses is going to experience transformation into a secure son. This is what he's going to get as he is encountering the Lord's presence. This is what the presence of the Lord does in a person's life. And we see it first modeled here in Moses. The revelation of who God is. Especially to you as an individual. We're not talking just about a broad concept. Who God is to you. What he is doing in your life is the beginning of being able to live in a place of security and confidence. If you want security and confidence, then Having an understanding of who God is, is the beginning of that process. Knowing who God is, is the beginning of the security of knowing who you are. Who you are becoming. Who you will be. Who you are being transformed into. It actually is what makes you a secure son. Somebody say secure son. Secure son. Let's look at verse 13 in Exodus 3. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. What's easy to see is that Moses internal dialogue is showing up here. He is struggling with insecurity and game planning all of the what if scenarios that are going on. Moses is still an insecure son, but the father's presence is going to transform him into a secure son. Look, the irony is that the very sight he was drawn to was beyond the natural realm. And he's sitting there trying to assess how he can accomplish his new task within himself we always come up short in that assessment yeah nobody is up to that kind of task 
The worst part is this kind of, of insecurity either leads a man to less transparency while he pretends to be self-reliant. That's trying to hide fear. Or it leads to a self-mortification so that he can convince everyone else that he shouldn't be involved in the task, which is a way of avoiding facing the fear. These very things are markers of insecure sons that haven't spent enough time in the Lord's presence. The loving father does not leave Moses as insecure. He will be transformed by the presence of God into a secure son. Look, in all of the what if game planning scenarios, insecurity is being displayed. We've all done it. I've done it. But what is the answer to this? How do we move to being a secure son? I'll give it to you. The answer is in this very passage. It's not about who you are or are not. It is about who God is. Amen. God's answer. It's, it's oddly calming to me when he states, I am who I am. I've talked many times on that phrase, but lately it began to strike me much differently in this way. If I trust thee, I am who I am, then I can trust that he chose me because I also am whatever I am. Amen. And reiterated by the fact that he chose me. God chose you. You, Rob Barnett. He chose you, Ray Pena. Just like he chose Moses. Your confidence should grow and can grow in that very truth. Amen. This makes faith and transformation much easier. By remembering, reliving, retelling the first time you stood in the presence of the Lord is the beginning of the transformation process into a secure son. It doesn't mean that what we're saying is, well, the I am who I am chose me, so whatever I am is just okay. Right. It means he knew what I was when he chose me, and he knew what he would make me into. Yes. Yes. And I'm still somewhere in that process. Yeah. Stand back and watch me transform. <laughs> Look, we're approaching an hour, and it's important to me that we get to a couple things. I want to summarize some of chapter 4 for you. To reassure Moses, God gives him uh, three signs. A staff that turns into a snake and then back to a staff. A hand that becomes leprous and then is restored back to a hand. And then uh, water that turns into blood. The Lord loves Moses. And the Lord loves you. He gave Moses many signs of affirmation because he's, he's building a son who is secure. Well, he's given you many signs of affirmation. He does it by way of his presence. Here, Moses, his response is still as an insecure son in chapter 4, but he's not going to finish that way. Okay? If you're sitting here in this room and you have huge glaring insecurities, even in the presence of God, well, so did Moses. But you don't have to leave that way. Amen. Exodus 4.10 is where I'd like to pick up. Moses said to the Lord, <clears throat> uh, 
pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent. Neither in the past, nor since you've spoken to me. I'm slow of speech and tongue. Look, it's easy as a third-party observer in the story to get a little uh, frustrated with Moses. He keeps bringing up reasons that he's too inadequate. But at least he's being honest about his insecurity, and he wrote it down in the Word for all of us. Each time, God gives him a reassuring solution to help him overcome his concerns, including a brother partner, co-worker with a different skill set to complement Moses' own. However, none of those things were the point. In fact, God was always going to help Moses in those ways. Think about it. Aaron was already on the way before Moses and God were having this conversation. This is not God accommodating Moses. It's Moses discovering more of God's plan as he goes. Think about those signs. Every one of them in some way foreshadows or prefigures Christ. God was always going to do those signs. It was not about accommodating Moses. Moses is just spending enough time in God's presence to get to a certain point. What is the point? God wanted Moses to face his own fears. He wanted him to face his own inadequacies. And then be persuaded that the I am who I am was enough for Moses. That's what he wanted. I wonder, I wonder if God's not driving it at many of those same things with us. Yeah, absolutely. Let's look at verse 11. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak. I will teach you what to say. Come on. This is the point, isn't it, church? This isn't about you striving more or trying harder or trying to get more committed. It's about the transforming truth that the Lord will help you. Security as a son flows from daily dependence on the Lord as he is helping you, as he is teaching you, as he is being enough for you in every situation. See, since the moment you stood in his presence, he has been transforming you into what you need to be. The day you first stood in the presence of the Lord is the beginning of the process of becoming a secure son. See, a secure son can face the fact that his body is as already as good as dead and yet have full assurance that he who promised is faithful, which is what Romans 4 teaches us about Abraham. See, secure sons experience the death of self-consciousness so that God consciousness can reign in a man. Amen. That is one of the many reasons the Lord commands us to remember the day we first stood in his presence. Mm. Man, isn't it comforting to know that the I am who I am is enough? He knows exactly what he's doing, and particularly he knows exactly what he's doing with you. The Lord knows how to create security. He knows how to create faith and confidence in his sons. 
He commands his people to remember the day you first stood in his presence. And this is where we started as the first of seven unique remembers that are in the book of Deuteronomy in order to accomplish a transformation in us. To illustrate that based on Moses' first day, you have seen his struggle. Now consider the facts of every day afterwards. Somebody say after. After. While at first, Moses does not wish to accept his great mission to redeem his enslaved people because he mistrusts his ability to do so. After he is transformed in the Lord's presence, after he gets the point that the Lord will help him in an ongoing fashion, Moses accepted the lifetime mission and was full of courage. He was full of energy, power, and decision. This is the difference between never-ending accommodation and asking God for transformation into what he is himself. Becoming a secure son through continued interaction and transformation in his presence is what we need. Do you have time for one more scripture? They're cooking for you after church anyway. In the NIV, if you would put Psalm 89, 15. Engage with this for a second. I'm really not going to belabor the point. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you. Who walk in the light of your presence, Lord. Today you heard people's testimony about the day they stood in the presence of the Lord. You heard words like completely secure, liberated, tangible power, face-to-face intimacy, chosen, intimate, close. God hears me, clean, free, safe, joy, grateful, righteous, hope, known, capable, significance. Then what happened anytime we don't feel that way? If that's the day that you stood in his presence, then why did you feel the way you did yesterday? Or this morning? We have to go back and remember. We have to relive. We have to renew. It all starts. Listen, none of you standing in the presence of God for the very first time were burdened by business decisions that you had to make. None of you were were reasoning pros and cons for everything and burdened and overwhelmed by it. Like I know some of you were when you walked in here. I could feel it during worship. In the presence of God, you feel things like freedom. Freedom. Power. One brother said, I was levitating in forgiveness. Like, wow. (laughs) That is how God begins to create security in a son. 
He wants you to know when his presence is there, this is how you feel, act, and operate. Maybe that's why I didn't start with their testimony of, I'm not even going to mention it today. Maybe he said, go back to the first time you heard my voice. The first time you stood in my presence. And he has a plan. He's got seven of these. Now it occurs to me, as we're standing here, that for many of you, you have moments where your eyes kind of wet. And they do, because when you hear somebody else reliving it all, you're like, yeah, I felt that too. I don't know if I could have expressed it like it, but I, I felt that too. There's a sense of worldwide camaraderie with real believers when you do this. Something else that's universal, though. Oh, they're just being sensational. It didn't feel like that to me. Well, let's... Uh, Let's agree on one thing. We have the opportunity to feel his presence today. If you have insecurity about these moments and you wrap yourself in doctrinal blankets to try to make yourself feel better about the fact that transformation has really not been that transformational for you. Maybe we need to remember how we began and start to build from there because he wants to build security into us. We're going to take time as a church and we're going to walk through those seven steps a week at a time. And we're going to do that because we want you to wrestle with the concept for a week. Now, it's going to be a difficult week for you if right now you can't think of three or four genuine real emotions that weren't bothered, borrowed from somebody else or Googled to find out what you should have felt. It's going to be a difficult week. Unless, of course, you wanted to feel his presence and took the opportunity right here. He might be in this place right now and you just have been unaware of it. Maybe he's like a, a bridegroom busting forth into the darkness, coming right now with his overwhelming presence for his bride. Maybe... He wants to reveal himself in his word to you. We're going to take the opportunity to renew in his presence. Remember the first time. And listen, if it's either muddy for you the first time, or maybe you're realizing what you thought was the first time was not really a time at all. It's okay. He's a loving father. He wants to secure his sons. He wants to secure them as in acquire them. And he wants to secure them as in the sons he has. He wants them to be fully confident in their sonship. Would you stand to your feet? In my own family, we have been terribly terribly neglectful of remembering.
And I know that it would have fixed many, 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 many problems along the way. I know if I spent every Saturday doing what we're talking about, my week would be a lot better week. I want to encourage you to secure a moment here for yourself where you make some decisions to not neglect the presence of the Lord anymore, to recount it, to relive it. And if you find yourself insecure while we've been talking about this, you're like, I just don't know about that. I don't feel that. I don't know if mine stacks up. Well, you get to do it again. If you're worried if your stacks up, let me tell you right up front, it doesn't. If you have met with the Father, nobody ever walks away going, yeah, I feel like mine was insignificant. I'm going to begin to pray. I know the Lord will do what he does. I know you will do what he moves you to do. Father, we're asking now in your presence right here that you would bring security to your sons. Lord, that you would renew, that you would re-wet, that you would help them to relive their interactions with you. Lord, those that have not yet actually had that, we ask that your spirit of holiness would help them, that pride would be circumcised away so that sonship could be born. Help us mighty one we need you we want you and it's what you said i will help you and i will teach you what to say well we're asking now for that again transform us mighty god right here and right now